Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and you're listening to the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast, a place for practical advice for women looking to balance their hormones, ditch dieting, and discover mindset shifts that will keep you motivated and empowered on your healthy eating journey. Are you ready to get started? Today, I want to talk about the glycemic index. If you've been researching PCOS nutrition or diet modifications online, you've probably come across some information about the glycemic index, but it's really unclear and sometimes confusing to women whether or not they should be following the glycemic index and whether or not it's really helpful. So today, we're going to clarify all of that. I'm going to tell you what I think about the glycemic index, but before we do that, Let's jump into talking about what it is. So the glycemic index is basically a ranking system for all carbohydrates, whether it's a chocolate bar or steel-cut oats or what have you. Each one of those carbohydrate foods gets a score from 0 to 100. Now, this score is going to show you or tell you how quickly that specific food would raise your blood sugar compared to white sugar, which is table sugar. White sugar is going to be the reference food here, and it has the highest score of 100, meaning when you eat white sugar, it raises your blood sugar the fastest way possible. So if we eat something that raises your blood sugar at the same speed that white sugar would, it would get a score of 102. Foods that don't raise blood sugar at all will have a score of zero. So things like chicken or fish will both have a glycemic index of zero. So a score of 100, again, means that food raises blood sugar the fastest way possible. But in reality, even very high sugar foods, very sugary desserts and things like that, candy, do not get a score of 100. Really, you have to be eating pure sugar for that food to have a score of 100. Um, Most foods do fall in between 0 and 100, and there are food lists online that show you the glycemic index and how they categorize food into low, medium, and high glycemic index, depending on how that food would impact your blood sugar. Now, you may say, but Daphna, what do I care about blood sugar? My levels are always normal. I never had any issues. My doctor says my numbers are great. Well, that's really good for you, and that is probably true. You may not have a sugar issue as far as your blood sugar levels, but it's important to remember that when blood sugar levels go up, a very important hormone goes up as well, and that is insulin. And the reason we care about how quickly blood sugar levels go up as it relates to insulin is that when blood sugar levels go up really quickly, the demand for insulin is really high. It gets very high very quickly, and that's not good for most women with PCOS because there's too much insulin in the system as it is. This is one of the main drivers of PCOS symptoms, and if you've been listening to this podcast or following me on social media for any amount of time, you already know know this. You know that reducing insulin is a major priority for women with PCOS. And when we eat foods that raise blood sugar slowly, it will mean that insulin levels will increase gradually as well. So this is where there could be a benefit because you'll be preventing a surge in insulin, which is super helpful for managing PCOS and reducing symptoms like acne, missing periods, belly fat, cravings, fatigue, and a lot of other symptoms that we commonly see with women with PCOS. 
Well, it sounds like the glycemic index is really great, right? It's gonna help me know how quickly my blood sugar levels are about to rise after I eat this food. It's also gonna then clue me into how my insulin levels are gonna change after this meal, and that's gonna help me control my symptoms, right? Well, not so fast. I'm going to share with you in a little bit what are some of the issues that we see with the glycemic index and why I usually don't recommend it the way it is. I'm gonna tell you what to do instead, so stick around because this is really important to understand. We hear a lot about the glycemic index and many, many times when you Google things or you look online, you're gonna see this as a recommended diet for you and I want you to be fully clear and in the know about what it really means, how it was determined, and what are some of the major issues with it and there are major issues. So before we do that, I wanna tell you how the glycemic index, how this ranking system was actually created. So it wasn't created through the best method, if you ask me, and the method that they used was giving volunteers the equivalent of about 50 grams of carbohydrates of different test foods. So they used different test foods to give to these volunteers and they each amounted to about 50 grams of carbohydrates. Now, 50 grams of carbohydrates isn't necessarily a usual portion. So it doesn't really reflect someone's typical intake in my opinion. So for example, if you think about 50 grams of carbohydrates from milk, that's about four cups of yogurt or 50 grams of carbs from fruit is about four to five medium apples. Both of these things, if you ask me, are not a typical intake. You wouldn't be eating four or five apples in one sitting. You also likely would not be eating four cups of yogurt in one sitting. But here's the thing, some foods, you know, in some foods, 50 grams of carbohydrates are a typical serving. So for example, 50 grams of carbs from brown rice or white rice, by the way, it doesn't matter. They both have the exact same amount of carbohydrates is about one cup, which I think is a perfectly normal serving is probably less than what people usually would eat in one meal. Usually people would eat more than one cup of cooked rice, so they would be eating more than 50 grams of carbohydrates. So do you see the issue here? If I were to compare the blood sugar spike after eating four to five apples versus after eating one cup of rice, I wouldn't really get great information because someone would likely not be eating this many apples in one sitting anyway. So that information is not that helpful to me. So when these researchers realized their system is not the best, they tried to improve upon it a little bit and came up with something new, another ranking system that's now known as the glycemic load. Well, what's the glycemic load? It's a little bit of a more sophisticated system because what they did now is they took the glycemic index of the food and combined it with the estimated portion that someone's likely to eat. Well, great, they did a good job on that. So they improved upon it a little bit, although the original glycemic index number is still in this equation. So it's not the most accurate, but okay. So this now takes into account the amount of food, not just the type, and it calculates the amount of glycemic load, the sugar load that that food would have on your system. Now, this is important because if you were to eat a low glycemic index food, but eat a lot of it, eat an excessive amount of it, your blood sugar can still rise pretty quickly. So it's good that they took into account the portion because the amount does matter and it can make a huge difference. 
So let's talk a little bit about some of the benefits of the glycemic index and the glycemic load as we see them in science and studies and research that's been done using this type of diet on different types of subjects. So they were mostly used for weight management, looking at how this compares to regular diets or to diets that restrict calories or to other forms of weight loss programs. They also looked at this with people with diabetes. How did this impact their blood sugar? Was there a real difference between a low glycemic index or load diet and a high fiber diet, for example, which is also very effectively used for blood sugar management? So they looked at this in multiple different ways, and there are quite a few studies on the glycemic index and how it can be beneficial. Now, there are studies with women with PCOS as well, and it has been shown to be meaningful. It has been shown to be helpful, most notably in restoring a healthy cycle and actually reducing androgen levels, which makes sense because we now know that androgen levels are increased when insulin is increased. We also see that when a low glycemic index diet is combined with a high protein diet, and when I say high protein diet, in this studies, they use 30% of the calories coming from protein as a high protein intake, which is pretty high. It can help reduce certain markers of inflammation. So that's one of the findings that we see and enhance weight loss. And all of this makes sense. But here's the thing, what happens in a lab during a study and what happens in real life are oftentimes two separate things. Remember, this podcast is called Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition for a reason, and that is what you're going to find here and everything that I teach my students in my course and my clients and my one-on-one coaching programs is going to be practical and realistic information that you can actually follow. And to me, it's great that something shows promise in a study or in a research setting, but we all have lives to live and we all have everyday realities that may not allow us to eat in a way or in the same way that someone in a study who has all their food provided for them and they're getting paid for participating in a study and they're dedicating six weeks, not their whole life, they're just dedicating a short amount of time out of their day or their life to be participants in a study, right? To be a participant in a study, that's very different from living your life and really truly managing PCOS long-term. So this is why, to me, following a glycemic index diet is not a down-to-earth approach. It's really nice on paper, but it doesn't pass the reality check that I like to give some of these food approaches. And there are several reasons for this. I'm going to be specific with you today and give you three of them. These are the three biggest reasons, biggest issues, I should say, that I see with the glycemic index. Reason number one that I don't recommend it is that if you're doing an internet search on the glycemic index, you're going to find a pretty big difference in glycemic index values depending on the source. And this is super confusing and unreliable. Plus, say you did find a credible source, you found a good list, you're printing it off. Are you going to memorize these numbers? I didn't think so. How will you know when you're out of the house if the sandwich that you're about to buy is high, medium, or low glycemic? Remember, the food lists that show you the the rankings are showing you separate items, right? Usually you don't eat bread on its own. You don't eat chicken salad on its own. You don't eat lettuce on its own, right? Whatever it is that is on that sandwich, you're gonna have to hunt and peck and put it all together 
How will you know how this entire sandwich is impacting your blood sugar? It's just very difficult to practice in real life. Speaking of real life, the second reason is that, like I just said, the glycemic index values were measured based on a test food when that food was eaten alone. So they took the test food, they gave you 50 grams of carbohydrates, they then measured your blood sugar levels, and they wrote down how quickly it went up. Okay, well, most meals that I eat, and I'm sure the same is right for you, they contain a variety of foods. They contain combination meals. They contain different types of ingredients. And to make things even worse and more confusing, in my opinion, the glycemic index ranking of a food changes when it's combined with other foods. So for example, if you were to eat pasta on its own versus the same exact amount and type of pasta with meatballs, these two meals are going to have a totally different glycemic index score. Things like fat do delay digestion, and including a protein in your meal will help blood sugar rise more gradually. Both of those things, fat and protein, are going to be present in the spaghetti and meatball meal, which will then reduce the glycemic score of that meal. Okay, so we know that the glycemic index changes based on the cooking method as well. So going back to our spaghetti and meatballs, if you were to cook your spaghetti al dente, that's going to have a lower glycemic index score than a pasta that's been fully cooked or even overcooked, right? So, and why is that? Well, it's because when we cook something like pasta, the more you cook it, the more available the starches are going to be. So when you cook the pasta, it goes from being super hard and it can go up until being super mushy, right? Depending on how much you cook it. Well, the more you cook it, the more these starches break down, they're more available. And if you think about pasta that's really, really mushy, it's almost all broken down for you. And when something is broken down, it's going to get absorbed very quickly. So when I eat it, my body doesn't need to do any hard work in breaking and digestion, digesting it. It's already broken down, so it can get absorbed right into my bloodstream, which would mean my blood sugar levels will go up more quickly versus if that pasta were cooked al dente, which now the body has to break it down a little bit more. The starches are not as readily available. So hopefully this makes sense. The other thing that you see great variability with, with the glycemic index, is it changes based on the cooking method. So, and this sometimes is very almost absurd and doesn't make sense and totally counterintuitive because, for example, a boiled potato actually has a higher glycemic index. It raises blood sugar more quickly than a French fry. And if you're on the subway, in your car, in your bathroom, wherever you are right now, I want you to take two, three seconds and say out loud why you think a French fry would have a lower glycemic index, so quote unquote healthier or maybe not as impactful on your blood sugar as a boiled potato. Well, if you said that it's because of the fat content, you're right. French fries are obviously fried. They contain a lot more fat than a boiled potato, and fat actually reduces the absorption of the carbohydrates. It slows it down. It creates a longer time for digestion, and that means my blood sugar levels are not spiking as quickly. 
So a lot of people may see a glycemic index list and see that a French fry has a lower glycemic index than a boiled potato and think, well, French fries are better. They're a healthier choice for me. I'm going to go for that. And of course, there are issues with that. Sure, you can fit French fries into your diet and all foods can find a place and a time in your day. However, I'm sure you can see an issue with the fact that some of these foods are not necessarily the best nutritional quality, and they're going to rank lower just because the glycemic index is impacted by the level of cooking, the processing, and what else is present in that meal or in that food when you're eating it. So I gave you an extreme example here with the french fries, but I really wanted to illustrate this concept and let you know that there are flaws with the glycemic index. The third thing I'm going to say, and this is one of the other reasons which I already alluded to, is that some of the numbers just don't make sense and they don't take into account the quality of the food. So I'll give you another example here that I saw, and I always refer back to this because, again, I think it's a very clear way of understanding what are some of the issues with the glycemic index. So just to recap before I go into that, we talked about the fact that foods are not eaten in isolation. You're not going to eat just brown rice or white rice. You're not going to just eat a boiled potato as your meal, right? We eat food in combination. And the glycemic index is basically irrelevant once you start introducing other foods into that meal. The second thing is that it's varied greatly. The glycemic index changes so much based on the ripeness of the food. For example, a green banana has a lower glycemic index than a ripe banana. So now you're not going to be able to remember that. You're not going to be able to remember the different numbers and nuances and whether or not this food is ripe to be a medium glycemic index or a high glycemic index. What is the level that, where is the cutoff? What's the threshold, right? So again, in the processing, the cooking, all of these things do change the number. And the third reason is the quality of the whole diet. So if you're someone who follows me, I'm going to guess that you want to manage your PCOS in a holistic way. You want to look at the total amount and quality of food that's in your diet and improve upon that. You don't want to just pick and choose one food and switch your bread from being high to low glycemic and thinking that's going to be the end all be all, right? You're smarter than that. I know that. So one of the things that I have a problem with is that the quality of the overall nutrition is not taken into account with the glycemic index. So for example, a snicker bar and one cup of brown rice have the same exact glycemic index score. These are obviously very different foods nutritionally, so the fact that it doesn't take the quality of the food into account, is it's a huge drawback for me with the glycemic index. In theory and in studies, yes, this works really well, Because the low glycemic foods are going to lower the demand for insulin, they help the body reduce insulin resistance and keep the blood sugar levels rising and falling naturally and gradually, which is great and it's what we want. But at the end of the day, there are just too many drawbacks and reasons why it could be hard to follow the glycemic index correctly that I just don't think it's worth the hassle. So what's a girl to do when it comes to the glycemic index? Well, I'm going to give you the advice that I give all of my clients, and I truly believe that that's the best way to go about this, and that is you want to eat in the spirit of the glycemic index and not use it like the gospel, right? So when we eat in the spirit of the glycemic index, what we're doing is we're looking at foods that don't typically raise blood sugar levels. We're not caring about the numbers. We're not caring about low, medium, or high. 
What we're thinking about is how processed the food is. We're thinking about fiber. We're thinking about whether or not this food is found in this form in nature. So when you think about fruit, let's take an apple, for example. If you think about apple juice, apple sauce, and a whole apple, these are all three products that come from the same fruit, right? But they're processed a lot differently. The apple is not processed at all. The apple sauce is somewhat processed, and the apple juice is very processed, right? So These three foods are going to impact your blood sugar levels very differently with the apple juice raising blood sugar the highest, the fastest, and the apple doing so in the least rapid and least impactful way possible. So you always want to prioritize. This is what it means to eat in the spirit of the glycemic index. It means that you're prioritizing the natural form of the food. You're prioritizing high fiber foods. You're prioritizing things that are not processed. And of course, you're combining them with other foods that are also wholesome and healthy, that's how you get the best results. So this is what I would recommend to you. If you want to take a peek at the glycemic index lists that are online, go ahead and do so. I think they're very eye-opening. I think some of the things that I've spoken about on today's episode are going to be really clear and visible to you once you do that. Some things don't make sense, some things are really puzzling, and some things are just downright funny. I really think that looking at something like a boiled potato versus a french fry or pasta al dente versus fully cooked. These are things that I don't really like when clients get frustrated with it because I would be frustrated with it too. I don't want this for you. I want you to be intuitive and natural and feel like it's really simple to manage your PCOS and not get bogged down with something like the glycemic index, which many, many times it causes more frustration than benefit. That's not what we want. The other thing that I tell my clients is that you can fine-tune your diet with the glycemic index. And what I mean by this is if you already have your nutrition dialed in, you feel really good about some of the foods that you're eating, you're in a good routine, and you're seeing some results, but now you want to up-level, you want to do a little bit more, you want to double down on some of those benefits, that's when you can use the glycemic index and maybe change the type of bread or the type of fruit that you're eating to be lower glycemic. I can see that being helpful. So I see it as the final kind of last steps of fine-tuning your diet. Maybe that's going to be helpful for you at that point. And certainly if you're doing it and seeing results, great, it's working for you. But I wouldn't start there. I wouldn't try to follow it to a T. I wouldn't get bogged down in the numbers. I would start elsewhere. And I have my course coming up where I teach you exactly how to eat, how to leverage nutrition to your benefit, to reducing your symptoms, to managing your weight, to feeling better, getting freedom from cravings, reducing symptoms like acne and hair loss and facial hair and belly fat. Those are all things that you can do with the right nutrition approach, which is what I teach in my course. Doors are going to be open in September. If you're not on the waiting list yet, go to daphnachazen.com forward slash reset. That's how you can get on the waiting list. Anyone who's on the waiting list is going to get a special promotion, a special offer to join the course once I open the doors. So you definitely want to get on there because it will save you some money and you're going to get some special bonuses that I'm not offering anybody else. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I can't wait to see you here again next time. As always, if you like this podcast and find it helpful, I'd love for you to write me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll see you here next time.
Bye for now.